Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm a feminist, but when I appeared on the Irish TV program Big Week on the Farm, it's the equivalent of Top Gear except about farms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's actually true. <laughs> Like dream dream. It's top farm. Yeah, do you know the way they have like star in a reasonably priced car? Yeah. They had minor celebrity milking a cow. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm delighted that I'm up to that level in Ireland. Yeah. Um, so I, Did you have to milk a cow? I had to milk a cow for a minute. Um, I only got 70 uh, millilitres out of the cow, which is enough to fill a UHT carton of milk that you get in hotels. Um, so it wasn't a good look, right? <laughs> but... Do you know the way they have... They, you don't know the way because you live in England. <laughs> they have a leaderboard and you can win a special golden udder if you, if you win that week. Wow. I know. I know. There's a comedian that got nearly half a litre out of the cow. I don't know how he did it. He's amazing. But I only got 70 milliliters. But I looked on the leaderboard. I was in the middle, but I had beaten a model and I took that as a victory. 
Uh, Always. So I'm a bad feminist in that way. I was like, mm, she may have a modeling career, but I got five more milliliters of milk out of that cow. So. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but backstage... We came up with the idea for a red carpet section at Guilty Feminist live shows so the audience can pose and have their photo taken in a variety of glamorous dresses in front of a Guilty Feminist logo like it's the BAFTAs or something. And now I can't think about anything else. And it's the only reason I ever want to do the show again. <laughs> so I can make that happen. Would you be interested in a live audience? Like if there was just a section, because the way they did red carpets at those things, it's not a whole red carpet, unless it's the Oscars or something. It's just a patch of red carpet, like a carpet sample. Like if you went to carpet right, and you went, oh, I need to see it in my front room. And then they give you a bit about as big as this table, and you have to take turns to stand on it. And there's logos in the background, and then people take your picture. Ooh. Yeah. So I thought we could do that here. We could just have that at the front, and it would like, inspire us all to dress up. Uh, <laughs> you do one. I'll do one. Okay. I'm a feminist, but while on Big Week on the farm, when I only managed to milk 70 milliliters, the farmer said the cow must have had dry teats. But the real reason that I did badly was because I was very aware of what milking a cow looked like, and I wanted to stay demure. <laughs> <laughs> so I teach shame that cow for my dignity. I'm a feminist, but my first guilty feminist red carpet dress will be a full-length ball gown in suffragette colours with the faces of John Stewart, John Oliver and Justin Trudeau embroidered onto the skirt. <laughs> And a low-cut top encrusted with rhinestones in the shape of John Hamm's profile. Oh, man. Over my breasts. <laughs> okay. I'm a feminist, but uh, I wrote some observational material about farts and uh, tried to push it past my boyfriend, because he's a writer too. He then asked me, how did I come up with this observational material on farts? And I said, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm a feminist but last night I went to the Asian Awards and I was on the red carpet maybe this is where the idea came from actually I'm hardly ever on a red carpet but I was on a very small one last night anyway I was with an 8 year old Syrian girl who was also on the red carpet called Bana El Abed, who won the Rising Star Award because she was tweeting world leaders from Aleppo asking them to help bring peace, and she wrote a book called Deal World. And when she went onto the podium to collect her award, a man picked her up so she could reach the mic. And she was dangling there in midair. And I heard her say, Put me down and bring the microphone to me. <laughs> And he put her down and he bent the mic down. It was a bendy mic. And she gave the best speech I've ever heard. And I thought, I might as well give up feminism because I will never be as powerful and self-assured as that eight-year-old girl. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah she, 
she blew everyone away. She got a standing ovation when she came out onto the stage and everyone just stood while they listened to her speech and it was incredible. At the end, she said something in Arabic and left. And I said to Steve, what did she say? And he said, we are the children of Syria and we want peace. And I was like, oh my God. Like, it broke my heart. But she was so lovely in the bar afterwards. She was just like chatting away. And I mean, <laughs> she was like, she, I mean, she wasn't hanging in the bar with a gin and tonic and a cigarette. I've sold that. Um, <laughs> Live from Open Norwich at the WOW Festival, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, and guest co-host Alison Spittle and very special guest Rosie Jones, talking about denial. Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. So today we're talking about denial. Yes. Not it... just a feminist river in Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I suppose like the Amazon is a feminist river as well, because Amazonian women. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. I thought you meant the parcel service <laughs> is... Is oh, the, yeah, the, the very big feminist organisation that is <laughs> No, I thought that was the guilty... I was thinking, why? I mean, you can't... Listen, you can order any feminist book you want. That's true. And it'll be with you by the following morning. Yeah, just don't think about it any more than that. Good. And it's yes, great. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so we're talking about denial. Do you feel as a feminist and as a woman there are things that you are in denial about or have been in denial about? Oh, of course. My whole opening up of being a feminist, you know, you get in denial about your privilege and uh, you deny that for a little while and then you get pissed off that someone's called you out on it and then you learn and you become a better person. So the denial stage is nice, though. See, I'm going further than that. Oh, yeah? When I think of denial in feminism, I'm thinking of when you're a really young woman and you think, oh, well, it's fine now. You know, there isn't a glass ceiling. And you're in denial about the patriarchy. Oh, yeah. Because, because when you're young, the sky is very far away. And so it looks accessible. And as you get closer to it, it's clear it's made more and more of glass. And it's thicker than you ever thought it could be. Mm. Do you see what I mean? When you get close to the glass ceiling, that's the only time you can see it's a ceiling. Yeah, because this you're just bracing philosoph- yourself for impact, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. It's more philosophical than I meant it to be. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think we're in denial about a lot of things about... I think we compartmentalise a lot. Oh, like any films that I liked as a child, I've now rewatched and gone like, Mr. Rochester is not a nice man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Jane. <laughs> turns out, turns out, Doctor Huxtable wasn't either. Oh no, it's true though. Like you know, there's a lot of stuff that. Oh yeah, from the past. There's so much stuff. Um, God as well. Uh, He's not as nice as we were told he was at Sunday school. No, God was a big thing in my life when I was a kid. Yeah, was he the first man that really let you down? Oh, yeah. well, Deborah. <laughs> Yeah, when I was a kid, I watched a Muppet Christmas Carol. And um, do you know the way there's three Muppets of Christmas? There's the Muppet of Christmas Past. Um, She looks like a poached egg, do you know? 
And then you got the Muppet of Christmas present, who's just a fat, jolly, bearded man. You go, ho, ho, ho. And then the Muppet of Christmas future was just this big hood, right? That would get Michael Caine by the hand and go, come here, Michael, look at this grave. And it would be his name on the grave. And he'd say nothing. He'd say nothing. And it was very scary. And that's who I believed God was. So um, I would pray to him every night. Really? Yeah. What, to yeah. the Muppet of Christmas Future? Yeah. What, yeah. You, you sort of thought that's what God looks like? I was like, that's my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, like, you know... It's the, hard to know why Catholicism wasn't for you in the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Because the, the prayers, they weren't, like, nice prayers. They were like, spare my family, God. <laughs> spare my family. <laughs> it was like negotiating with a terrorist or something like God. <laughs> It wasn't like, bring me a pony. Oh, no. It was, don't strike me down with leprosy. Yeah. Well, because my, my dad was a very devout atheist, and he would tell me all the time that Catholicism was not the correct religion. And my religion teacher was telling me he was going to go to hell. So I would always think of scenarios where me and mum and dad would die in a, an accident or something. And instead of... Me and mum would go to Catholic heaven, of course. And then daddy would be in this atheist uh, twilight zone. And I'd go visit him every two weeks. You know, like a divorced dad. Oh, you thought you had to go to purgatory for custody? Yeah, like, a, like every other weekend. Like a drive-through McDonald's in purgatory. Oh, and he'd buy me a happy meal and go, "Has your mum moved on with anybody?" And I'd be like, "Leave it, dad. <laughs> Let me eat my chicken nuggets in peace." So you've you've been in denial for a long time. Long time, baby. Yeah, long time. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah from The Guilty Feminist, just letting you know that I have a book coming out in September. It's a book called The Guilty Feminist, and it's got lots and lots of new stuff in it. I've got lots of more time to unpack things that I wouldn't normally get time to talk about in the podcast, but there's also some old favourites in there that some of you have requested. Now, you can come to an event and you will get a book in your event ticket price and then I will sign it for you because I will be at the event. It'll be like a Q&A and a discussion and I'll do a reading from the book and I will come and meet and greet everybody. Um, now, the first event is on the 2nd of September at the Tabernacle in London. Then I go to Birmingham, then Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds, Glasgow and Brighton. And I'm sure we'll add some more dates in there. If you go to guiltyfeminist.com and scroll down, you'll see book, click on that and you can pre-order the book there. Or if you'd prefer, you can come to an event and you will get a book in the price. We've got some Guilty Feminist live shows coming up soon. On the 15th of July, we are at Open Air Theatre Regents Park. Felicity Ward and I are hosting a Guilty Feminist show there. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be sunny. It's going to be outdoors. It's going to be wonderful. And there's still a few tickets left for that. We are at the Edinburgh Festival on Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of August at the Underbelly. They have just released more tickets for that. So get in now and grab tickets while you can. On September the 17th, we will be at the Northern Stage Newcastle. And on the 10th of October, we will be at the Barbican Hall with Guardian Live. Um, that will be the same sort of show as one of the Palladium shows. So get in now and book quickly for that. On the 20th of October, we're coming to Liverpool to be at the Playhouse. And you can find details of all of these shows at guiltyfeminist.com. Also, we are going to start doing events in Calais. 
If you would like to perform at one of these events, if you do music, if you do comedy, if you do storytelling, or if you do poetry, please get in touch. And if you teach yoga or any other therapeutic skill, please get in touch if you would like to be involved. If you don't do anything like that, but you think you'd like to go over as a producer one week, i.e. take over a clipboard and organise everything and make sure the performers are in the right place at the right time, or... You can drive a car and you would be happy to drive a carload of performers, teachers and other volunteers over. Please get in touch at Calais at guiltyfeminist.com and John Quill or Anna will get back to you. At this stage, we're just looking to schedule events. Uh, we haven't started the operation yet, but it will start soon. So please let us know as soon as you can. And finally, many of you know Steve Ali, my flatmate, who's a Syrian refugee. Steve's best friend, also from Syria, Amer who is also a refugee, has just got his papers and is legally allowed to work in the UK. He's a gourmet chef. His food is unbelievably good. And he is starting his own catering business. So Steve and I decided that we would co-host his first exciting dinner on the 7th of July in Knightsbridge. There are only 30 places. His food is incredible and you will get three courses plus an open bar. I have warned him what an open bar means in London. He says he knows, he doesn't. You have to wear at least one item of clothing that is white and it is going to be £50, which we know is beyond a lot of people's budget, but is also very reasonable for three courses and booze in London. It's 7th of July, 7pm. Steve and I will be doing a small performance at the beginning and having dinner with you. There are only 30 places, so please get in now if you would like one. It's amercuisine.com, A-M-E-R, cuisine.com. Come and support Syrian refugees, but also have the night of your life. Back to the show. Please welcome to the stage with enormous guilty feminists, woohooing Alison Spittle! So, denial... I have been getting mental health help since uh, when I was 13 years old and I started punching a jack of potato into the floor for no reason and it, <laughs> and it was decided that I'd have to get some psychiatric help, right? I saw this as a way to get off double German, so I was quite happy. <laughs> And uh, when I was a teenager, I'd often put my um, mental health helpers into different categories. I'm very bad at um, remembering what their job title is. So I just put them into two camps. And one camp is the uh, silent, quiet judgment camp. I like those ones. You tell them something, they go, hmm, and write something into their notebooks. I always like to imagine that they just went, Alison Spittle is brilliant, there's nothing wrong with her at all. Uh, the other ones I didn't like so much, they were the talky back ones. Uh, I didn't like them because I would tell them a story and then they would go, so uh, tell me, who does that remind you of? And then I would have to go through every family member until I guessed the right one. <laughs> it was a really bad game of charades, so it was. The mad thing is, when I left secondary school, I no longer got free mental health help. So I was like, I'm cured. I'm fine. Because I couldn't afford to pay. And it was all perfectly fine up until my mid-20s. It was actually, I got a TV show in Ireland. And I got a tweet 
it was like a bit of a, an abusive tweet and I stayed up eating the whole box of cereal and I went, Jesus, I think I'll have to go get some help again and get a thicker skin before the TV show actually comes out. So I went shopping for a psychiatrist and uh, I found one and she was grand. But I remember I first went into her and she said to me, Addison, before we start, I want to talk to you about your clothes that you wear. And I was like, what? They're class. And she goes... <laughs> She goes, no, I just want to talk to you because you wear a lot of colourful clothes and headdresses and uh, I'm just wondering if you're hiding something there. And I thought, no, um, I'm not hiding anything. In fact, I'm making quite a big show of myself. <laughs> and the reason is, is because I watch nature documentaries and, you know, you see these Amazonian bugs that are brightly coloured and they're basically brightly coloured to tell predators, do not touch me, I'm poisonous. And that's what I'm doing with people. Um, do not test me. I am mentally unstable. And it is, <laughs> it is great for public transport. I recommend it fully. It's wonderful. Um, but the mad thing is, I had a few sessions with her and it was going great. And it's like I was trying to get myself... You know the way people get beach body ready for holidays? I was trying to get myself mentally stable for a television series, right? <laughs> And it was fine. But, you know, when you do these things where you try and change your life a bit, like by the fourth week, you're like, nah, I'll let it slide a little. And um, I slept in one day. I called her and I said, look, I'm very sick. I can't come in. And she said, that's perfectly fine. Come in next week. So I went in next week and she said, Alison, we need to talk about last week. You still owe me money for the session that you missed last week. Now, if I knew that I had to pay her, I wouldn't have pretended to be sick in the first place, right? And she said, is that okay? And I said, no, it's perfectly fine. So I paid her the money. And uh, then I started talking, like my whole session was taken up with me talking about how people have financially affected me over in the past um, <laughs> and how that psychologically affected me. And <laughs> so uh, to be honest with you, I got really tick over it because I'm one of these people that just passive aggression is my go-to thing. And I just stew in my emotions. And I gave her a text and I said to her later on that afternoon, thank you very much for your time, but I feel that our sessions have kind of run its course. And she gave me a text back that said, Alison, can I call you? And you know when you see those types of texts, you're like, fuck no, and you walk away uh, <laughs> from the phone. But I, I got a call off a private number later that day. And I'm just like an investigator. I love to know what's going on. So I answered the private number and I was like, hello. And it was the lady, it was my counsellor. And she goes, Alison, I just want to talk to you about today. Like, I, I feel that we're making great progress. And uh, I just want to know, is this about the money? Because you do know that I had to rent a room. And also, if you cancel that week, that's income gone from me that week. And you do understand why the money was owed and I did understand at that point why the money was owed but I, do you know when you're just that far into it you're just like feck it I'm staying in <laughs> so, so I said to her no it's not about the money at all didn't even think about it to be honest with you um, it's just you've been so good at your job that I'm actually cured now uh, so that's it thanks so much guys <laughs> Oh, 
Today's guest is a comedian you will have seen on countless TV panel shows and heard on many radio shows and podcasts, including our very own Global Pillage. Please welcome to the stage and to the stand-up mic, the wonderful Rosie Jones! My name's Rosie, and as you can tell from my voice, I suffer from being northern. (laughs) It's so hard. address the disabled elephant in the room. That's what my mum calls me. (laughs) I have a disability called cerebral palsy. And I guess the worst thing about having cerebral palsy is how long it takes me. (laughs) To say... (laughs) Cerebral. Blind, deaf. Why did they get one syllable? (laughs) But the slow talker gets five fucking syllables. It's not fair. But apart from that, being disabled is amazing. It is. You can dribble. On people. <laughs> oh, I can't help it. <laughs> I can. <laughs> A lot of people are awkward around me and I really feel like it's my job to make it more awkward. (laughs) (laughs) So people say to me, oh, 
watch your disability. And I go, what? (laughs) (laughs) So then they got to ask again. Oh, um, hiya, Rosie. Um, um, hey, um, um, Uh, what what's your disability? And I go, I'm not disabled. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Half true. <laughs> That's it. Oh, comedian Rosie Jones here. Now, the fifth of July, March seventeenth anniversary of the NHS, and to celebrate it, National Theatre Wales created a month-long festival with all sorts of cultural events, including laughter is the best medicine, a comedy night featuring yours truly on the 21st of July in Carmarthen. I wanted to be involved in this because the NHS has not only saved my life but has also saved my brother and my mum. So without it, my dad would be very lonely. We all take the NHS for granted, so this is our chance to say thank you. Thank you, NHS, for always being there when we fall. And I fall quite a lot. Support comes from ServiceNow, 
the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Hello, Rosie. Hello. How the hell are you? I'm great. I'm really, really great. I Ooh. love your stand-up so much. I find it so joyful. I just can't stop smiling when I'm watching <laughs> you because you're having such a good time. I am honestly having the best time. I can see. It's really catching. So we're talking about denial, and you, yeah. in fact, suggested this topic. Yes. What are you in denial about? What have you been in, what have you been in denial about? Right. So I'm not in denial anymore, but I was in denial for... A long time, I was in denial that I was actually massive, massive lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) Because I denied it for so long, because I thought, I'm not gay. I'm disabled. (laughs) (laughs) And did you feel like you had to pick a team? Yeah! I mean, when I'm handed a diversity form, (laughs) I'm all over the disabled section. It takes me that long to fill that out. I didn't want to fill another bit <laughs> No, I do understand that. And so for a while did you suspect you were gay and then just thought, oh, I don't want to deal with it? Yeah, so I think growing up I thought, oh, I'm disabled Rosie. Yeah, know, that's my thing. And I remember Googling gay, disabled women and finding shit all. (laughs) (laughs) But then I honestly thought, oh, I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So you thought, oh, I mustn't be because there aren't any. Yeah, because... 
Because when I don't know anything, I Google it. Yeah, no, we all do. That's how we live now. We can't and, operate without it. And Google told me that I wasn't gay. <laughs> <laughs> Google told me that I didn't exist. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And I honestly, whenever I have feelings for women, which happened a lot, <laughs> I would honestly go to the nearest nightclub and get off with six men. What, six, specifically six? Like you'd Always not going home till I've done the full six? <laughs> yeah, because I thought only kissing five was a bit gay. <laughs> 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 were you were you in denial about your sexuality when you were a young Catholic girl, like teen? Did you kind of feel you had to suppress the feelings? You're yeah. straight, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. want to impose straightness on you. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like when you first had sexual feelings, because presumably oh, it wasn't yeah. okay. Yeah, it wasn't. My mother had a VHS tape of the Peter MacDonald directed hard-hitting drama called The Magdalene Sisters, which uh, for anyone that... I heard a few Irish people there. Um, <laughs> it's uh, basically this uh, drama about uh, women in the 60s that were sexually active and then imprisoned and enslaved by the Catholic Church in Ireland. So, yeah, sexuality was a bit hard. I consider myself to be a frigid. Do you know what that is? Frigid? Frigid, Yeah. <laughs> My nickname in school was Saint Frigid, um, patron saint of cock blocking. Because uh, uh, that was my favourite thing to do when I was in school, was to prevent lads from shifting my friends. Uh, shifting is kissing, by the way. So that's what I would do. And were you yourself shifting oh. five boys a night in a nightclub? Can I be honest? My, sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry. When my first shift, which is like kissing experience, happened with four lads. Um, what? Yeah. The first time you ever kissed anyone, it was an orgy. Do you want me to tell you? Okay, okay. So, so what happened was... I actually was watching the Magdalene Sisters on VHS tape um, with my friend and four lads. And my friend was very good at like shifting and the lads were all mad to shift her. I hadn't had my first shift yet. And I was eating curry cheese chips at the time. And she paused the telly and she said to the lads, lads, I know why you're here. And don't worry, it's going to happen. But Alison over here hasn't had her first shift yet. Uh, so she was like the Mother Teresa of shifts. She, oh, she basically she donated a shift. Oh. oh, yeah, she told the lads, if you want to shift me, you're going to have to shift through Alison first. <laughs> so. In Australia, we called it pashing. Pashing. I pashing. love that. And if you kiss somebody who hadn't shaved and yeah. you got 
you know, that little prickle. Yeah. That was called Pashrash. Oh, that's good. Oh, nah. True. That's right. It's such a good word. Nah. Um, so you've got an Edinburgh show coming up. And is this about your experience of coming out as a lesbian to yourself and to your parents? And Yeah, but also it's about how I reckon if I was able-bodied, I'd still be a big, big gay. Really big. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't reckon I would have come out. I reckon able-bodied Rosie is still somewhere in denial. Why do you think you wouldn't come out if you were not gay? No, hold on. If you were not disabled. No, no. I know why you wouldn't come out if you weren't gay. I, look, I get just, as a, just as a piece of logic. Yeah. Because straight people never have to come out. We never have to come out as straight. Do, no, no, if, we don't. Even if we're keeping our straightness in the closet, I've often thought this. If you worked for a company, one company, you know, like yeah. we used to work for like General Electric for 25 years and then retire. Baby boomers had one job and then they died. Um, <laughs> uh, except they don't die. That's the no. only I don't want baby boomers to die. It's gone into a bad territory. But I've often thought... If you worked at one company for 35 years, never mentioned you were straight. Yeah. yeah. Say you were a man in this scenario, because it's okay. the olden days. And then at your retirement party, your wife turned up. No one would ever go, oh, he's kept that quiet. <laughs> All these years, he was straight. You just would never, no, they would just like assume, no. well, it must be a wife or something, and we just haven't met her. Yeah. To be honest, lads, like, I checked out five minutes in this conversation because I was just thinking of like sliding doors and trying to work out the altering lives and then you're talking about a man in general electric I'm like <laughs> where is this film going yeah. where is where is able-bodied Rosie in so the I, general electric it's very good yes okay let's get to a, back to able-bodied Rosie in sliding doors so yeah. why wouldn't you come out if you were not disabled because I think Able-bodied Rosie is a slag. (laughs) She is. Because deep down, I'm a big slag. (laughs) So why wouldn't you come out? So I reckon, like me going out and getting up for six Guys, she would have tried to shag the gay out of her. And I think she wouldn't accept being different, whereas I was a bit like, bugger it. If I'm already different, I might as well be a little more different. Yeah! True. And, and I think being disabled has made me know who I am and know what I want in life. And actually, it's 
show me to just live my true self and fall in love with who I want to fall in love with in a way that I think as an able-bodied person I would want to fit in more. Yeah, I do know what you mean. Like, once you're weird and different, Mm -hmm. you just think, oh... I'm not weird. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking of myself, because I used to be a a Jehovah's Witness, and... You're always the weird one as a Jehovah's Witness. And, you know, you'd be at work and you couldn't really socialise with anyone. You couldn't talk to yeah. anyone. And, I mean, you could, but then they'd, you'd either have to declare you're a Jehovah's Witness or you'd just be weird about, oh, I'm not going to come for a drink with everyone because you're not allowed to go and yeah. socialise. Yeah. And once you're the weird one, in, which in my case, can I just self-identify as weird? <laughs> I'm not projecting weirdness yeah. onto you. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you are disabled, but also you are a bit weird. Yeah. And that's nothing to do yeah. with the disability. Yeah. Uh, like, it's just who you yeah. are. That's why you have an artist pass, honestly. Yeah. Genuinely, I do think it gave me my artist pass because I was an outsider. A lot of people say to me, when I meet you, I think you're a bit funny, a bit weird, and then they get to know me and realise I'm normal. And then they get to know me a bit more. <laughs> and then they realise, yeah, I am weird. <laughs> Do you feel that, Alison, have you felt like an outsider and sort of just kind of doubled down at any point? Oh, yeah. People used to make fun of my clothes. Especially my poor granddad. He was like Joan Rivers. He'd be going to be... <laughs> Oh, you're dressed like a hippie. Um, so then I would buy blue tights and wear them the next time I saw them and just double down on being a bit weirder. Mm. Also, I love doing comedy and stuff. And since I moved to a bigger city, which I moved to Dublin, I feel like I've been more accepted and stuff. Yeah. And like, you find your own tribe. Yeah. And you just have a nice time there. That's why I was in denial, because I was projecting so many stereotypes on myself. I honestly thought I'm not gay because I got long hair. I'm not gay. I wear dresses and I'm attracted to women in dresses. You know, I had this warped sense of who I had to be. At what point did you accept yourself? Uh, um, probably when I was about 24. I'll tell you what happened. When I was 17... My best friend, who's a boy, came out to me and said, 
Rosie and Gay, and I want all amazing, great, and then they said, you're gay too. <laughs> he came out for himself and for you. That's a shock, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's a, that is a shock coming yeah. out. Yeah. I have to sit um, down and tell you something. I think I know what you're going to say. You're gay. That's not what I'm going to say. It's like a magic eight ball of sexuality. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. You're gay. And I said to him, I'm not ready to deal with that. Oh. Yeah. So you didn't deny it? No. You just shelved it? Yeah. You said, look, if... if yeah. I was too busy dealing with all the disabled shit. Yes. <laughs> it was too much for me to handle that that time. So it was seven years later, when I was 24, in a gay club, and I said, obviously, I said to my friend, um, I think I'm, I'm gay. And they said to me, I told you! <laughs> told you seven years ago! But for me, in my 17 year old brain, there was so much more that I had to deal with. Yeah, understandably. And actually, I saw recently, sort of, there was a sort of flurry on Twitter. Yeah. That, that idea, that stereotyped idea of what a gay person looks like had sort of come up. You'd gone to a gay club in London? Yeah, so I went in with friends, went out for a smoke... We've been drinking, but we weren't drunk. And um, I wasn't allowed back in. And they said, you're too drunk. And I went, well, I'm not. I'm disabled. And he... Shot himself. And and he was literally pointing at me and went, No, no, not you, not you. And I went, Who? And they went, it's, um, <laughs> it's um, someone you're with, but not you. And it's palaver went on for 20 minutes. Wow. wow. And we were thrown out. So I went on Twitter. And the support I got was amazing. But I've had it in other gay bars where people say to me, oh, yeah, you're not allowed in it, it's a gay bar. 
I'm not gay. Yeah. No. I'm gay. And they say, well, you don't look gay. They're meant to be at a gay bar, knowing that gay doesn't look yeah. like anything, that yeah. you could fall into an expression of gender or sexual orientation that one might predict or anticipate as gay, yeah. but you don't know that someone's gay by the way they look it's or that they're straight by the way they look. It's a bit like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to shag a lady yeah. <laughs> in the cube? <laughs> because I will. <laughs> But, uh, I see the gay virus is like a sanctuary for like, yeah. like, what, like Notre Dame or well, yeah. That's a very Catholic way of looking at gay that bar. Sanctuary. 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 Well, my friend Sinead, uh, she's a little person and she won Miss Alternative Ireland, which is a competition uh, that drag queens normally take yeah. part in and other people. And she said she feels safe in gay bars mm. as opposed to other bars because other bars pricks will pick her up and spin her around and she's yeah. just trying to have a good night out. You know? She should say, put me down and bring the microphone to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, but she, she said she feels safe there and I think it's, yeah. they shouldn't be exclusionary. I think it, uh, that's the wonderful thing about mm. gay bars. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I've spent many a night in a gay bar. Yeah. Well, did you yes. ever been told I don't yeah. look gay enough? Did you get some free Do drink? Do I look gay enough? I'm, I'd be delighted to look gay enough. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get any free drink off that bar for the publicity? No, no, but I did judge their naked dancing competition. <laughs> <laughs> Invited back a celebrity judge. Somehow I knew Rosie Jones would turn that yeah. story around. I'd just like to say a big round of applause to the wonderful Alison Spittle. And do you have anything to plug, Alison? I do. I am doing an Edinburgh show called uh, Warrior Princess, spelt like worrying. Uh, pun. Um, so it'll so be a funny show, title. you guys. Look at the name. Um, so that's in the Gilded Balloon at quarter past five every day of the Fringe. Uh, I've also got a podcast called The Alison Spittle Show. And uh, I have this TV show called Nowhere Fast that will hopefully be in the UK on some sort of uh, legal streaming service. <laughs> very, very exciting. So if you're in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Festival, go and see Alison Spittle, Warrior Princess, a title I'm very jealous of. And look out for her sitcom coming soon too. And... It's time to say goodbye to the wonderful Rosie Jones! So much love for Rosie Jones. So much love for Rosie Jones. Rosie, have you got anything to plug? I do. I've also got an Edinburgh show. Hopefully um, not on at the same time. No, luckily not. Thank God. My hour show is called Fit for the Minutes, and it's because 
Apparently we're in 15 minutes of material. <laughs> but in this voice, it'll take an hour. <laughs> And I'm on at the Pleasant Courtyard at half eight. Pleasant Courtyard at half eight, and I hope you're touring that show, both of you, after the Fringe. Hopefully. Hopefully. And please do bring it to Norwich. Um, <laughs> you have a guaranteed audience, I feel, if you come oh, back to Norwich, either yeah. of you. So if it's a one-date tour, make it Norwich. <laughs> uh, and that's good advice for any comedian. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Alison Spittle, and a very special guest, Rosie Jones. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. The music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selitsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Tony and Hannah at PBJ Live and everyone at Women of the World and Opening Knowledge. As well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. TV show in Ireland called Big Week on the Farm. Um, <laughs> that does sound like an Irish television show. Yeah. <laughs> Big, week. Big Week on the Farm, so it is. It's, so uh, it is. Yeah. So it is. To be sure. To, I, I, I didn't go as far as to say to, uh, to be sure. Well, you see, Big Week on the Farm, so it is to be sure, is the extra show. <laughs> Where a panel of uh, comedians look back at Big Week on the Farm and, <laughs> and discuss it. Hello there. You've heard a lot about Brexit on this podcast and the possible impact it will have on women and vulnerable people. Now, one of my very favourite straight white men, Guilty Feminist producer and my husband, Tom Zielinski, has co-written and directed a very funny satirical play about it. It's called Brexit and it stars Timothy Bentink, who you might know from The Archers, with Mike McShane. Hal Cruttenden, Pippa Evans and Joe Caulfield. Incredible comedy names and Edinburgh stars. I've seen a preview and it really is wonderful stuff. Funny, biting and the cast is fantastic. You can get tickets now for the Edinburgh Fringe run in August by going to brexitplay.co.uk. And if you use the code guiltfempod, you can get £2 off your ticket. If you won't be in Edinburgh in August, but you are in London, you can get tickets now for the two London previews on the 27th and 28th of July. Once again, go to brexitplay.co.uk for tickets. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.